and automatically, whether you've read the bulletin or not, in your head you have finished off the phrase. But not as I do. I thought that I had never been the recipient of this idiom before. Definitely it's sentiments, but that it had never been said to me. And then I realized in first service preaching, I was like, I'm a liar, so I need to come clean about that. This, whether you're with friends, whether you're um, with family, people that you know well or don't well, this, don't, don't do this. I'm just going to text really quickly. Don't, don't do this when, when you drive. Or when you're snow driving and you're doing a donut and they're like, you don't do this, but it's a don't do this. Like, we don't do this. Do as I say, not as I do. Sometimes I feel like when, when I think of that or when I say that, it's like, because I have wisdom. Because <laughs> hindsight is always 2020 vision. So I'm just trying to help you out. Not because I'm doing anything wrong or that I'm slipping up. I'm just trying to make somebody else's experience better. Yeah, we're only fooling ourselves. We're in a new series that is aligning with our Connected Life conversations, so please join one. We're talking about this idea, this topic, this life. Jesus changes everything. And so when you have a preacher stand up here and you say, Jesus changes everything, and you only hear Mr. Gifford, the Bible teacher, say amen, it makes you wonder what you're doing as a pastor. (laughs) So when I say Jesus changes everything, amen, you are here because Jesus has changed and is changing everything. Whether you believe it or not, whether you've experienced it or not, that is why you're sitting in this seat. Jesus changes everything. The way that we look at the world, the way that we look at each other, the way that we look at ourselves. He changes all of your thoughts about what you wanted and what you thought you needed. Changed. Last week, Pastor Milton took us through Jesus changing everything, Jesus who calls. Jesus who calls each and every one of us to something big, something grand, and something beautiful. Jesus who calls us to meaningful transformation. He calls you and me, and that changes everything. Today we're going to talk about Jesus who teaches. So he calls us, and then he teaches us, and that changes everything. Last week I was reading a blog because, you know, New Year, I'm not going to say new, me, um, but, you know, health kick, right? Everyone says New Year's are that time to realign, restart. So I was telling First Service, I came across this blog, all the things that you can replace that are that are unhealthy with zero fat, plain Greek yogurt, (laughs) of which I never believed were of goodness and from God. Like, it's not. (laughs) Throw in some strawberries, throw in the full fat, throw in the sugar, like that's, that's good. That's good, but none of this plain stuff. 
It's on this, on this blog article that I'm reading because let's try to change our frame of mind. I see that one cup of mayo can be substituted for one cup of Greek yogurt. Interesting. Not going to try it because I don't, I don't really use mayo that much anyway, so it's fine. One cup of butter can be substituted for a quarter cup of butter plus three quarters cup of Greek yogurt. Um, okay, no, I like my butter. Like, that's okay. One cup of sour cream equals one cup of Greek yogurt. And we got some responses from first service. They were like, that's practically the same thing. They taste the same anyway. Bad is basically what I took from that. But anybody in my family will tell you that we were Pathfinder camping and there were meals that didn't have sour cream on the menu, but I know we had them from Haystacks. I know there was sour cream from Haystacks. So I was like, mom, can we bring this sour cream out? That's not on the menu for this. Yeah, but I need it. I need it. Sour cream goes on my potatoes, it goes on my burritos, it goes on... Sour cream is life, man. Sour cream is life. And so when I read this, I was like, oh, sorry, Michael. I know you don't like it. I don't know if I want to take this chance because I'm, I'm not a fan of this Greek yogurt thing. So I did. I tried it. Put some salsa on some eggs. I did like a little dabble. And I was like, huh? So the texture is just a little different. It's a little bit more watery, but I would consider this a game changer. And so then I went on to go and research all these other things that I could do with Greek plain yogurt. And I jumped down this rabbit hole and I come across this Reddit, this subreddit. Um, if you don't know what that is, ask somebody. They'll, they'll inform you of this wonderful thing called Reddit. Um, You'll get lost in it and you'll have so much fun. Life hacks, how to substitute things and make your life better, make your life easier, how to use everyday items and enhance your living situations. A full subreddit, life hacks. So I come across this and it's like a whole page, hundreds and hundreds of entries on things you can do with command hooks. You know what command hooks are? So you don't have to put holes in your wall. You can put these little Velcro, sticky adhesive things on there, and you can hang things. So you'll take these command hooks, put them upside down on your trash can, and all of a sudden your bags don't come off of your trash can. You can line your cupboards with them so that you can put your pots and pans holders in them, and it sits perfectly arranged. More than just hanging things on them, you use them to prop things up. You use them for jewelry, to hang your necklaces. You use them for every which thing. And the rabbit hole that is the internet, that is really Reddit, will tell you all the things that you can do. Game changers after game changers. What you can do with a binder clip. Too many things that people have too much time on their hands. <laughs> So these things game-changing our lives, just a click away. But there is a person who can game-change our lives just a book away, really just a thought away, because he's already there. 
And so it's just for you to make this decision that you want Jesus to change everything. This week, we look at Jesus who teaches. And if you have any background on the Gospels, you'll know that the four of them are told from different perspectives, and some have stories that others don't. Matthew is what came to my mind, because Matthew, written for people of faith, written for a community who should have been ready to receive Jesus. Matthew, who paints Jesus as the teacher, as the rabbi, because that's what the Jews know teachers as. And so we follow this story in Matthew. And when I think of Jesus who teaches, the Sermon on the Mount is what comes to my mind. The Sermon on the Mount is the longest portion of scripture with Jesus speaking uninterrupted. This whole setting where we can understand what Jesus is about and what he can do with an extended length of time. Maybe it's because I've been studying the Beatitudes with the youth, um, but it just seemed to click. So as I thought about the Jesus who teaches, the one thing that came to my mind was this phrase that we find in Matthew. You have heard it said, but I say to you. Right after the Beatitudes on the Sermon at the Mount, Jesus continues with six other statements unpacking what they know as the law. And he says, let me make this a more full understanding for you to experience. So I invite you to open up your Bibles to Matthew chapter 5. We'll spend some time there and we'll spend some time in a couple other places in scripture today because I just can't understand or talk about the teaching Jesus without looking at how this Bible is everything Jesus is teaching. And so the, the power of Jesus' teaching comes when you understand that this was not just some guy who came up with some cool things to say. He was the one that came to fulfill the law. And it is only through knowing scripture that you can come to that conclusion. And then it is after Jesus, as we continue to see what the Spirit does amongst his people, that validates and allows us to join and participate in this story of Jesus, the teacher. So Matthew chapter 5, verse 13. Right after the Beatitudes, Jesus continues his sermon, and he tells this large group of people some of the first things Jesus is saying in his ministry, and it's hope. You are the salt of the earth, but, well, maybe I was wrong. But if salt has lost its taste, how can its saltiness be restored? It is no longer good for anything, but it's thrown out and trampled underfoot. Okay, so like, some good, some like, okay, fuller understanding. 14, you are the light of the world, a city built on a hill that cannot be hid. No one after lighting a lamp puts it under a bushel basket, but on a lampstand, and it gives light to all their house. And in the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father in heaven. You are the salt and the light of the earth. The Sermon on the Mount is Jesus emphasizing 
these deep and underlying principles and a need for commitment to the law rather than an external acknowledgement of obedience. Jesus wants us to stop being concerned with the rules and the list of things to do, but to understand that this is how we live, this is our life, this is not just something that I get to check off. Yes, I stayed faithful today. No, you should stay faithful because this is how we view people. No, I didn't murder anyone today, check. No, you don't murder people because we value life. Jesus, who came to fulfill the law, changes everything. This is not Jesus saying, because I'm here, you no longer have it. Because as we continue reading, verse 17 says, Do not think that I have come to abolish the law of the the law or the prophets. I have come not to ab- abolish, but to fulfill. For truly I tell you, until heaven and earth pass away, not one letter, not one stroke of a letter will pass from the law until it is all accomplished. Here we get a truly one more time we talked about before. And this idea of fulfillment, fulfilling the law, meaning to make it full, to complete it. Jesus comes to fulfill the law, and it changes everything. Jesus is not the same person that we are that says, do as I say and not as I do. The glory of Jesus and the glory of God and why this means anything is because Jesus is the one that says, do as I say, because this is what I do. Jesus doesn't fall into that trap that you and I fall into. In comparison to our broken vessels, our imperfect selves, Jesus says, do as I say, do as I do, follow me. That is the gospel, friends. In its fulfillment, we get Jesus. We get a savior. In its fulfillment, you and I receive grace. In its fulfillment, we get yet another glimpse of this creator God. God is what God does. Brene Brown, an author that I'll probably continue mentioning, so you should pick up her book so we can go out for coffee and have a talk. Books like Daring Greatly, Braving the Wilderness, The Gifts of Imperfection, she writes something that changed my perspective on, perspective on living. She says, oftentimes these things that we consider imperfections of ourselves, I wish I were more this. I wish I was less this. Oftentimes we look at character traits like courage and bravery, and we say, I wish I had that trait. I wish I could be more brave. I wish I could be more courageous. But what she will tell you is that If you want to be those things, then you have to do those things. You don't become brave just by sitting there and all of a sudden you walk up and say, and now I'm brave. You practice being brave. So in those moments where you have an opportunity to choose, are you going to fight or flight? If you want to be considered brave, you know where it leads you. In those opportunities of fight or flight, when you want to be courageous, You know what you have to choose 
because that is your opportunity to practice being that. We want to be a community that moves boldly. So we need to practice doing that. We want to be a community that deeply connects. So let's practice doing that. If you want to be known as a loving person, then you have to love well. But our culture would rather tell us other things about what love looks like. That love is fleeting. That dating is dead. Long live millennial dating patterns. One that says, here, dating, on, dating or going on dates does not happen anymore. It'll start with a coffee or an easy hangout. But the idea that you first get to know your person is experiential, and that's not a date. But that's becoming less and less likely. I'm like, what? Okay. Second thing. Using the term talking. When two people are talking to each other, don't say that they're dating each other, because that's not necessarily true. But if two people are dating each other, don't say that they're talking either, because they're more than talking. So, so what is this thing? Like, we don't date anymore, we just talk. But like, if I have a friendly conversation, that's what talking is. So if I'm interested in a person, it is still that same word, talking. Interesting, interesting. Okay. This one um, was used in youth a little while ago. So if you think these things are the world, it's like in here, friends. Somebody was ghosted last week. And I didn't know what to do with that. If you don't know what that means, then understand that our youth and our young adults and our young ones in general have not learned how to have these talking conversations and they will decide at any point in time they don't want to have anything to do with this person. So they're gonna ghost them and you just walk away and nothing. So when I say, hey, what's up? How are you doing? Nothing, ghost silence. And here's this last one that was used definitely this past week. And I was like, I don't, uh, I had to look it up afterwards. I had to pretend like I was cool. And then I looked it up. So that girl's a catfish. I was like, I don't, I, uh, I don't know what that means. And part of me said, should I like reprimand you for saying that? Or like, is it an okay thing? I was like, we shouldn't call people names is really what I settled with. That's what I settled with. And what catfishing means is this idea that you have an online persona and then when you get to know them, they are nothing like that. Oh, I don't know why it's that. I don't know why it's that. They're gonna tell me why next week, I know. This isn't how the church people view dating, is it? And the, let's hope for a second that the church is behind hundreds of years like it normally is, and that's what it is the deal in dating too. But no, because these are the conversations that I have had the privilege of having with, with our people. We live in a time where friend request is on a screen. We live in an age where working in the same building allows you to be friends. We work 
and we live and we breathe in a time where coming to the same church to worship makes you family. Amen. But I would challenge that further. I would challenge that further. Because just because you're sitting on this side and they're sitting on that side doesn't mean you guys have ever crossed paths in your life other than having one thing in common, this place. And that is the challenge we have, friends. We want to be a community that moves boldly, that connects deeply, then we have to start doing it. So next week, let's see you all sitting on that side. And all of you guys on this side. So here's the thing. Here's the thing. Nobody will meet each other, but at least you will have done something different. And you will get a different perspective, and then maybe the next month we can work on everybody fitting in the middle. Okay, because we've got some empty seats. So unless you're bringing your friends, we're all going to be rubbing shoulders soon. Jesus fulfilling the law changes everything. So if you had noticed on your bulletin, our text for today comes from Jeremiah. Jeremiah 31, and we'll begin in verse... 31 under a new covenant. The days are surely coming, says the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and the house of Judah. It will not be like the covenant that I made with their ancestors when I took them by the hand to bring them out of the land of Egypt, a covenant that they broke, though I was their husband. But this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, says the Lord. I will put my law within them. I will write it on their hearts. I will be their God and they will be my people. No longer shall they teach one another or say to each other, know the Lord, for they shall all know me. From the least of them to the greatest, says the Lord, for I will forgive them of their iniquity and remember their sin no more. Jeremiah is the heart prophet, the one who is always after heart transformation, the one who speaks to his culture, who has turned away from God, who has continued to give into idolatry, who has continued to just be complacent and okay with all of the things that their culture was telling them. Jeremiah knew we had to have Jesus in our hearts. Something had to change in our heart before anything would change externally. We've said it before, Jewish culture was ruled by the heart. This was the central organ that moved the body. They used to eat so that they could strengthen their heart, which would strengthen their bodies. We understand that in a similar way because heart disease runs rampant in the United States. But today we can distinguish between the brain's thoughts and a person's actions. That distinction was not made in Jewish culture because what your heart said was what you did. And I think if that was the case, we would be in trouble today. This idea that our actions are linked to the heart. The heart had three special functions. The first was to know, to feel, and to will. So you can see how that wraps up your actions and your understanding of the heart. 
their culture would say that all models of feeling from physical hunger to remorse all came from the heart. It's an interesting thing to consider. So God uses Jeremiah to tell about a new kind of covenant so that the people of God, those of Israel and Judah, the ones who are supposed to be spreading this message, would be ready when somebody like Jesus came along, laying the groundwork for this idea that we need to go a little bit further. And this is a transformation that needs to happen, not just an outward appearance of habits. God's law, according to Jeremiah, is something that is no longer external, but completely internal, something that we live by, something that defines us, something that we embody. This new covenant, in this new covenant, we become holy through faith of the Redeemer and the Sanctifier. God's plan and desire has always been to reconcile us back to himself. God wants our hearts, friends. He doesn't want us to sit here week in and week out to be okay with saying, I went to church this week. That will be a result of the heart transformation that you encounter. Jeremiah ultimately failed. He tried, but he didn't break through to his people. Jeremiah is helping us understand that what Jesus says is what Jesus does. And that Jesus comes to fulfill the law. Because now, when we jump to our last space in the New Testament of Hebrews, Jeremiah is quoted just again, that same verse, 31, 32, 33, and 34. But in Hebrews 8... This letter will say, we have a high priest who is advocating on our behalf. Someone seated at the right hand of the throne of majesty in heaven. Somebody who is ministering in the sanctuary, the true tent of the Lord. What Jesus says is what Jesus does. As I invite the praise team to come back up, I would like each and every one of us to consider the Jesus that changes everything. If you have a red letter Bible or you've ever encountered a red letter Bible, then you'll know that Jesus' teaching are all of Jesus' words. And all of Jesus' words exist to go and fulfill everything else that scripture has said and promised. So this book, Old Testament New, points us to one thing. It points us to Jesus. It points us to Jesus, the fulfiller of the law. And so this thing that we have been called to, this thing that we have the opportunity to engage and participate with, that's the gospel. That somebody like you and somebody like me want to be reconciled back to this God who all he does is love. That is the magnificence of the gospel, our participation in this story that we only are worthy of because of Jesus.
So Benita, we have dreamt of a new church, of a new future. Let us move boldly, deeply connect, and understand that it takes everyone to fulfill the full benefits of worship. The law is not a lifestyle. The law is not a list of rules. It is not a worldview. The law is fulfilled in a person. So we have to look at this person. We have to look at relationship with this person to experience that transformation. Jesus calls. And if you didn't answer that call last week, then I make it again. Jesus is calling you. Jesus says, follow me. And then Jesus teaches. He teaches us how to do it and what that looks like. Jesus teaches us how to be alive. There's not just life with God in our heart. It is understanding that we are connected to our creator. May the words of Jesus teach us. May the words of Jesus inspire us. May you be the salt and the light of the earth this coming week. May I encourage you to share how Jesus changes everything with somebody who needs a little bit of good news, with somebody who hasn't heard the good news before. Because this kind of Jesus that changes everything helps us to look outside of ourselves and to look at those around us, to look at those in need and to give voices to the voiceless. Jesus is calling each and every one of us. May we be continually transformed by the teaching, the calling, and the love and participation that Jesus has at our door each and every day. Amen.